You're listening to Beyond the Game. I love you guys. Love the program. You're already famous in Rochester, but watch out world. It's a faith-based sports radio program. That's the dumbest thing I could think of. I love everything about it. The, the, the beards, the handshakes. That just means I'm never leaving my kids alone with you. The ladies are digging my sweet bass. We would be honored if you would join us. Hello, everybody. Along with Zach Barletta, I'm Rick Benson. Welcome into the Beyond the Game program. So nice to have you along for the next half hour or so as we talk sports from a faith-based point of view. BTGprogram.com or at BTG program. Zach, a lot of noise we've been hearing this past week about NFL officiating. It's uh, At the very least, it's been a difficult year for the guys in the striped shirts so far. And there were a few more questionable calls this past weekend, starting in Thursday night's Giants-Patriots game, but it culminated in what seemed like the refs absolutely stealing a game from the Detroit Lions Monday night in their nationally televised loss at Green Bay. The NFL has since admitted that at least one of those two key penalties called against the Lions was wrong. Now, Troy Vincent, he's the NFL's executive vice president of football operations. He said that while one of the two illegal hands-to-the-face penalties called against Lions defenseman Trey Flowers, one of them was right, but the other one was not. Vincent said he would discuss the matter with Lions officials. They have a regularly scheduled owners meeting. It begins to, began this past Tuesday. It ran through Wednesday. I have not heard anything out of that. And you could discuss it all you want in said meeting, and you can apologize through the entire meeting. But for a team that played their heart out the way the Lions did, Man, that's going to sound like shallow, idle words. Sure, the apology's nice. The pledge of correction, if there is one, is nice. But those refs may have cost the Lions a game there. And it's a game between two division rivals who are probably going to be battling each other, potentially for a wild card spot. There's a very real possibility that this game decides who goes to the playoffs and who doesn't. So to be the Lions in this situation is it's not great. After the blatant non-call of pass interference in last year's NFC's championship game, the NFL instituted this new replay system, making all pass interferences reviewable by instant replay, which on the surface, it seems like a good idea. But it has seemed like officials have just flat out refused, maybe even spitefully refused, to overturn calls, even those which look fairly obvious, such as the one we saw in the Giants-Patriots game. Yeah. Yeah, that was one of the more egregious ones I've ever seen. And it's been not even just those, but in that same uh, Packers-Lions game, you have a touchdown scored by Alan Lazard where the pylon cam shows he's clearly down a foot or two outside of the end zone, um, and all scoring plays are supposed to be reviewed. Somehow that play is not reviewed. I, I Their handling of review this year has been very poor. My argument against replay has always been pretty simple. If they're going to look at it on video and you're still going to get it wrong, what's the point? Why bother? You might as well just play the game and lean on the old human element of the game thing, which many people have no problem with that anyway. Yes, we want the calls to be right. Absolutely. But come on, what good is replay if you still can't get it right? It's beyond time, in my opinion, for the NFL to get full-time referees. I agree, and I think that, look, if what we're going to see is that the referees just aren't going to overturn the call, even when the video says it should be overturned, then maybe that needs to be taken out of their hands. 
Now, going back to just a bit, I said that the refs may have cost the Lions a game because you know the old saying, you have to play well enough that the officials aren't part of the decision. And now that might seem cliche, but if you want to beat an Aaron Rodgers-led team, going down the field and getting three points instead of six or seven is not how you're going to do that. The Lions flat out missed opportunities. Yeah, that's a good point. Um, you know, it's it, it's it feels like being a Bills fan a lot where, you know, with so many times we complain about the refereeing and games against the Patriots or whatever. But at the end of the day, like you said, you're not going to beat them with field goals. They're too good. Same with the Packers. And um, you look at that play because it's the obvious one. It's the one that everyone's upset about, the one that was clearly botched. But at the same time, if you're finding the end zone on those plays instead of settling for field goals, it's a completely different story. So the blame goes both ways. I understand that the Packers may have stepped up, but can you really blame the refs for a one-point loss when you left a dozen points or so out there by settling for field goals? And again, I get it. There, you know, you got a defense. It's not all that the offense didn't get it done, but the offense didn't get it done. So that's you, you can't blame the refs when you left 12 points out there in any sport. You cannot miss opportunities and expect to win. The Yankees last week in Houston, game two, they lost in 11 innings. They had a number of chances to put that game away and head home up 2-0. Probably would have changed the dynamic of the entire series. Now, again, I understand Houston stepped up, made the pitches, made the plays when they needed to. And it's not like the Yankees weren't trying as hard. I understand that in any competition, there, there's both successes and failures for both teams. All I'm saying is that you can't miss opportunities and expect to win. And you definitely can't miss opportunities and then turn around and blame the officials. I mean, speaking of missed opportunities by the Yankees, how many men have they left on base in this series? For the believer in Jesus Christ, missed opportunities are even more costly. One never knows. But it's entirely possible that the believer may be the only one an unrepentant person may ever come in contact with. We never know if that's someone's best possibility of coming to know Christ or not, but to miss that opportunity, well, it could be devastating. Sometimes opportunities, they come disguised as problems. We see an obstacle, and so we try to avoid it, preferring not to deal with it. Problems can be God's opportunities in disguise, especially when when they make someone better by addressing these problems head on. Don't miss an opportunity just because at first it looks like a problem. And additionally, opportunities, well, you know, they often have an expiration date. If you don't take advantage of an opportunity which God has put before you, it doesn't necessarily mean that you've lost the opportunity, but it might. God may turn to someone else through whom he will accomplish his will. I tell you, I recently had a situation, and I've had to ask God for forgiveness because I resisted a call. And it really became clear to me over time, someone else went out and did exactly what I kind of felt God calling me to do. I missed an opportunity. And somebody else is being used instead of me. And I feel awful about it. And I had to go to God and get that thing figured out. I had to ask him for his forgiveness. In Jesus' time, the Jewish leaders of the day missed an opportunity when they rejected Christ. They were waiting for the Messiah. Here he came, and they rejected him. He had been prophesied about. They rejected him. Matthew chapter 21, verse 43 says this, Therefore I say unto you, 
The kingdom of God will be taken away from you and given to a people producing the fruit of it. As a result of Israel's hesitation to accept the salvation God offered them through the Messiah, Jesus Christ, God then offered the gospel to the Gentiles, the non-Jews. And look, I'm grateful that that's the way that went, but fortunately, Bible prophecy says Israel will get another opportunity to accept Jesus, to declare him as the king of kings. But there, there's going to have been many, many, many lost years in between those opportunities. Don't miss an opportunity by waiting too long to respond. And yet another thing to consider is that opportunities might very well be challenged. They might be challenged. You might meet some opposition. Just because you met with opposition after you began a work which you believe God called you to do doesn't mean that God's not in that. It's not necessarily an indication that you've not heard God correctly. The Apostle Paul knew that he would experience opposition when going through one of God's open doors. 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verses 8 and 9 says, I will remain in Ephesus until Pentecost, for a wide door for effective service has opened to me, and there are many adversaries. Opposition can actually be a sign that you are indeed following God's will, but that Satan is doing all he can to distract you and knock you off course. Acts chapter 14, verse 22 says, strengthening the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to continue in the faith and saying, through many tribulations, we must enter the kingdom of God. You could be sure that where God wants you to succeed, Satan wants you to fail. Don't miss an opportunity because you expect a Christian life to be free of any problems or obstacles. And here's one more thing about opportunities, which is fairly obvious. They're often missed out of fear. Whenever there is fear on our part, there's reassurance on God's. 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 9 says, And he has said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for power is perfected in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, I will rather boast about my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may dwell in me. Remember that God often brings us to a place where our strength is small. We're weak. And he does that so that we can see his great power. 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 7 says, For God has not given us a spirit of timidity, but of power and love and discipline. And in Hebrews chapter 13, verse 5, he says, Make sure that your character is free from the love of money, being content with what you have. For he himself has said, I will never desert you, nor will I ever forsake you. Whenever an opportunity is presented, there's two choices. You know, we can walk by faith, or we can walk in fear. Now, I'm certain that somebody listening to this radio program right now has an opportunity in front of them. Which will you choose? Will you walk by faith, or will you walk in fear? Maybe you're nervous, and that's good. Don't move forward in your own strength, but trust in God's. Rely on Him to not only reassure your call, but carry you through to the fulfillment of His plans. If there's something we can pray about for you, please let us know. You can reach out to us through our website. Once again, it's btgprogram.com. We'll be back in just a bit along with Zach Barletta. I'm Rick Benson. This is the Beyond the Game Program.
It's time for this week's Red Hawks recap. Looking back on the week in Roberts Wesleyan College Athletics, covering up to Thursday, October 17th. The Red Hawks recap is being brought to you by Roberts Wesleyan College. The Roberts Wesleyan women's soccer team rode a goal by junior midfielder Allison Parcels for a 1-0 road win over Chestnut Hill College last Thursday night. And they followed that up the next day with a 9-0 shutout victory behind three goals from both Morgan Rosano and Maya Rutland. The Red Hawks also got goals from Tiffany Melendez, Israela Groves, and Emily Romig. A three-game win streak for the men came to an end on Saturday as they fell to the University of the District of Columbia 2-1, the lone goal coming from Alex Perez-Vega. On Wednesday, New York Tech came to town to take on the Red Hawks, while the women fell 2-1 in double overtime, lone goal coming from Julia Dorisky. The men came out on top by that same 2-1 margin behind goals from Dan Rieger and Terrell Spencer. Also on Wednesday, the women's volleyball team was at Damon College, where they fell 3-0. And prior to that, this past weekend, it was a pair of 3-0 road losses for the Red Hawks, first to New Hampshire University on Saturday, and then to the University of Bridgeport on Sunday. And it was a tough weekend for the women's tennis team, losing three straight matches, Friday 7-0 at Queens College, Saturday 4-3 at Beloit College, and Sunday 7-0 at the University of New Haven. In bowling, the Roberts Wesleyan women won the Grapevine Classic to earn their first ever team tournament win in program history. The Red Hawks finished the tournament with a record of 8-2. Coming up in home action on Saturday, October 19th, the women's volleyball team will welcome in St. Anselm College for a 1 p.m. match, and they'll also be home next Saturday, October 26th, for a 1 p.m. match against Malloy College. The men's and women's soccer teams are both in action tomorrow, October 19th, against Malloy College. Start time for the women's team is set for 1 p.m., and the men will follow at 3.30. The men will also be home again next Saturday, the 26th of October at 6 p.m., taking on Damon College. Go on out and visit the incredible athletic facilities at the Roberts Wesleyan College campus and support the Red Hawks. They are, after all, the only Division II college athletics program in Rochester. And you can stay up to date with all the Roberts Wesleyan Athletics action at their website, robertsredhawks.com. And there you'll also find news, scores, highlights, and more. And you can always follow Roberts Wesleyan Athletics on Twitter, at RWC Redhawks. This has been the Redhawks Recap, presented by Roberts Wesleyan College. Do you know a high school athlete looking for a D2 college? Hi, I'm Dr. Dina Porterfield, president of Roberts Wesleyan College. We're proud to be a serious athletic school with great opportunities for serious athletes. In fact, we have the only Division II athletic program in the area. Our many varsity programs range from basketball, tennis, and cross country to track and field, golf, volleyball, and soccer. Tell the young athlete in your life about Roberts. Visit roberts.edu. It took me a long time to be able to say Chandler has cancer because that is such a scary word. When St. Jude finds something that works well with a certain cancer, they share that with everybody. And knowing that we don't have to pay for all of the medical expenses, that's huge. We just have to worry about helping Chandler and he's just my heart. St. Jude Children's Research Hospital. Finding cures, saving children. Learn more at stjude.org. When I have a home remodeling project, whether interior or exterior, I call McAfee's Remodeling Company. Family owned for nearly two decades, McAfee's Remodeling Company is the name I trust. Mike McAfee put a new bathroom into my house three years ago, and I'm still getting compliments on it every time someone comes over to visit. Mike and his crew are experienced and professional, and you'll be thrilled with their work. So give McAfee's Remodeling Company a call today at 402-1070. That's 402-1070. Or visit them online at McAfeeRemodeling.com.
the great Susie Quattro there. Man, Zach, I had a crush on her back when, oh, it was probably before high school. Okay. Anyway, welcome back into the program. Along with Zach Barletta, I'm Rick Benson. BTGprogram.com or at BTG Program. The program is recorded in the BTG studio in Rochester, New York, but it's heard all around the world via podcast. And among the many places downloading last week's show was Oak Park, Illinois, birthplace of comic legend Bob Newhart. Ray Kroc, founder of McDonald's, one-time owner of the San Diego Padres, born in Oak Park. Although commonly known as the founder of McDonald's, I, I guess some may say he was the guy who shafted the McDonald brothers right out of the business. That's an interesting story. If you're interested, look it up. They made a movie about it with Michael Keaton, though I'd imagine some of the movie is probably artistic license. Mike Shanahan, former NFL head coach, three-time Super Bowl winner. And Amon Shumper won an NBA title with the Cleveland Cavaliers also hailing from Oak Park. To those of you in Oak Park, Illinois, and wherever you're listening from, really, we thank you for being with us. Here is Zach Barletta to give us this week's shenanigans statements. Number one, on the Fox broadcast of the Yankees' uh, Game 3 against the Astros, the announcers seemed to make much of the fact that the Yankees could have acquired Garrett Cole if they parted with Chance Adams, Miguel Andujar, and or Clint Frazier. So truth or shenanigans, the Yankees should have made that deal. You know, I agree, and of course you never know how those things will turn out in the moment, but it sure seems like it would have made all the difference in the world in this series. Not only would the Yankees have the ace that they don't really have, but the Astros wouldn't. In fact, it would be the Yankees, if they had made that trade, who would have home field advantage probably in all likelihood. As I say, you never know how these things will ultimately turn out, and at the time, I don't think this was the Garrett Cole we saw pitching in Pittsburgh. But at some point, you have to make a tough decision. You have to make a tough move to get a quality player who's going to put you over the edge. They hesitated on Verlander a couple of years ago. They probably should have made a move when Cole was on the block. But, you know, again, hindsight is twenty twenty. And ironically, both of those guys end up with the Astros. But, um, look, I, I'm going to say shenanigans. Um, I was against the trade, you know, two years ago when the rumors were floating out there because – Garrett Cole, when the Astros acquired him, was coming off back-to-back subpar seasons. He gave up home runs. His ERA was too high, even pitching in a pitcher-friendly park in the National League. And he looked like one of those classic guys where the stuff was going to be better than the results. Um, And I thought that was too much to give up. And then he went to the Astros, and they waved their magic wand, and now he's probably the best pitcher in the American League. But, I mean... Looking back with hindsight, of course, it's 2020, but the Garrett Cole that they would have been trading for at that time, I still don't think was worth the price. Yeah, and I agree with you. This wasn't the guy that we that they were trading for. This mm-hmm. is an improved version. But and, and again, if the Yankees are able to sign him in the offseason mm-hmm. and then make a trade with one of these guys to get even another starter further bolstering that rotation, well, well then I guess it was a good move. But we'll see how it turns out in the offseason. Yeah, fingers crossed for that. Number two, the Angels have hired Joe Madden as their next manager, which immediately makes them an improved team. You know, shenanigans. He doesn't hit. He doesn't pitch. He doesn't field. He doesn't throw. Players allegedly love to play for him. I get that. He was in the organization for 30-some years. I get that. I understand the hire. It's a good hire from a company perspective, I suppose, but I don't think he automatically makes his team better. In fact, he and the Angels front office they have a they have some work to do to improve mm-hmm. this roster. Yeah. 
Uh, I'm going to say uh, that I agree. I, th- I think he makes the team better. And here's why. Because he represents a shift in thinking from the previous two managers. Mike Sosha and Brad Osmus, two former catchers, were very old school. They were not analytics-minded. They wanted defensive catchers instead of catchers who could hit that sort of thing. Joe Madden is... He's much more analytics-minded. He is the complete opposite of Mike Sosha and of Brad Osmus. And I think it's a signal that the Angels are ready to get the dugout connected with the front office in such a way that they'll use information to make their team better in a way that the previous two guys wouldn't. And I think that in itself is going to make them better. I should have known you were going to defend the analytics guy. Oh, of course. I should have known. Number three, the Buffalo Sabres are off to a hot start again. So truth or shenanigans, this time they're for real. What do you think about this, Zach? You know, I don't know what to make of it. Um, I'm going to say yes. I just, because it's a new coaching staff, it's a new regime, the players are really responding well. So there's there's an actual change that's been made to possibly prompt this. And, you know, we've been saying for how many years now? One of these years, with all this talent, they're going to be good. So I'm just going to go ahead and say this is finally the year. Yeah, I seem I agree too. I, and I, and I started to say I seem to remember a very similar streak last year, last yeah. November. And we all know how it turned out, but yeah. I think this Sabres team might actually be pretty good. And if you compare how they're playing in this streak as compared to how they com- played last year during their hot streak in November, they were lucky last year yeah. because a lot of their numbers were still in the bottom part of the league whereas this year a lot of their numbers are in the upper part of the league. And, and you know, as you mentioned, they are responding to the coaching change. And the power play certainly isn't going to continue at this point. What are they, like at 42% or 44% or something yeah. ridiculous? But it's improved. And the goaltending's been better. And I wouldn't make plans for the Stanley Cup, but I think the Sabres will be pretty competitive all year long. When we come back, something encouraging in our You Like That segment. Come on back along with Zach Barletta. I'm Rick Benson. This is the Beyond the Game program. Hey, everybody, it's Benson. You probably know that Beyond the Game is a different kind of sports talk radio program. Sports conversation and Bible verses mixed together? Why would anybody do that? Here's why. Because the message of Jesus Christ is so important that we use sports to appeal to sports fans. Trying to be, as Paul said in 1 Corinthians 9, all things to all men that I might by all means save some. You see, all of us are sinners, and because we are, we can't get to heaven on our own merit. The Bible says in Romans 3.23 that all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. But it also tells us that God loves us, so much so that he sent his son who was the only one who never sinned, and though he did not need to die, willingly did so on the cross as a sacrifice to pay the debt of all our sin. John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Why? Because God wants us all to be saved from an eternity in hell. 1 Timothy 2.4 says he desires all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. But the good news is Jesus didn't stay in the grave. Instead, he rose again, defeating death and making it possible for us to go to heaven as a result of his righteousness. You see, that's the grace of God we want to tell you about. Sports Talk Radio allows us to bring that message of the forgiveness of sins to sports fans all around the world. Forgiveness of sins is available to all people everywhere. 
1 John 1, 9 says, If we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. The Bible says that anyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Romans chapter 10, verse 9 and 10 says that if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart a person believes, resulting in righteousness, and with the mouth he confesses, resulting in salvation. I hope you'd pray to God. I hope you'd confess to him that you know yourself to be a sinner and tell him that you know and believe that Jesus died on the cross for you. And begin a new way of life, turning from sin and seeking after God. If you want to know more about what it means to be a Christian, you can visit our website, btgprogram.com. Thanks for listening and enjoy the rest of the show. Welcome back into the program. I'm Rick Benson. He's Zach Barletta. 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 1 says, First of all, then, I urge that entreaties and prayers, petitions and thanksgivings be made on behalf of all men. During the fourth quarter of Sunday's game between the New Orleans Saints and the Jacksonville Jaguars, Saints linebacker Demario Davis put on a punishing hit on Jaguars tight end Jeff Swain. It left Swain knocked out, laying on the turf. He did regain consciousness, was able to walk off the field to be further evaluated. It was a helmet-to-helmet collision. It didn't appear to me to be intentional, as Davis led with his shoulder. And I'm not certain if he just didn't get his head cleared out in time or if Swain went lower than uh, Davis expected. Either way, the play play was rightfully flagged because it was helmet-to-helmet. Though, as I say, it didn't seem intentional. Anyway, what I like about it is that as Swain laid on the ground, medical staff attending to him, players kind of standing around. Davis, the man who put on the hit, could be seen as the one figure down on one knee praying for Swain's recovery. If you recall, Davis was the man that was fined by the NFL for violating the personal message provision that they have in their dress code by wearing the man of God headband. That fine was later overturned. It has nothing to do with a religious thing. It's just the NFL is strict when it comes to uh, it's dress code. Anyway, Saints linebacker Demario Davis walking the walk, putting his faith on display by immediately praying over an injured opponent is what you I like, like this week. You like what I like this week was actually from an episode of The Simpsons. You may have seen going around the internet this week that on last week's episode, Pancho Bia of Buffalo Bills superfan fame uh, made an appearance. There was a uh, like a. Uh, a corkboard up on the wall with a whole bunch of mugshots on it. And one of the mugshots pinned to the bottom of the board was Pancho Villa. Uh, just as a little tribute to him and what he's cool. meant to Buffalo. And to see him getting national recognition like that, even in a small way, was was pretty cool. So Pancho Villa making it onto the Simpsons posthumously like is what I liked like this week. That. Well, that's it for us this week. Remember that this radio program, well, it's only on the air thanks to the generous support of listeners like you. It's because of your prayers and your financial gifts that make the Beyond the Game radio program possible. Please pray about becoming a supporter of this radio ministry, and if you do feel led to give a financial gift of any amount at all, please visit our website, btgprogram.com. Once again, that's btgprogram.com. For Zach Barletta, I'm Rick Benson. Lord willing, we'll be back together again next week right here at the same time. Be bold and be great this week, everybody.